listening to First Church Charlotte. First Church on this Wednesday evening. I'm Pastor Anthony. I'm filling in for Pastor Nathan, who's on vacation. It is an honor to bring the Word of the Lord to you. It's always an honor to be able to share God's Word and to minister to other people. And it's an honor to have a pastor like Pastor Nathan who believes in you and trusts you to do things like this when he is gone. So I want to give thanks to Pastor Nathan. But I want you guys to know it's an honor today to be able to bring the Word of the Lord to you. And for a title today on this Bible study, I want to have a little bit of fun with it. Um, I'm going to entitle this Praying Against the Rapture. Praying Against the Rapture. So today, this difficult time is for the world, for the church. I mean, if even if you took the complications behind the, the COVID-19 and well, we have this this world where we have cancel culture, where if you don't agree with anything that I say, then then you're wrong because I should be allowed to have my opinions, right? I'm I'm the one that needs that you should agree with, and everybody's about their own opinion, as the Bible puts it. They say that it's a uh, everybody does that which is right in their own eyes, yeah. But it's it's we've created this culture in this time where there's there's difficulties and there's this great tension that seems to continually build where society and the world say that some things should be okay and the church seems to fight back against these things and and we create this large tension and it's frustrating for us because deep down we know that the world's never going to amount to our level of of spirituality uh, our level of um morality, should I say, where things that we find morally reprehensible, they're they're just not going to quite ever get there. I mean, it's Bible. They're never going to meet that level that we might feel. And as things seem to get worse, we tend to get, we tend to strive against that. We fight against it. We buck against it, but we get frustrated with it. It's easy for the church to become frustrated in this, in the world where we are trying to be a moral compass with people who don't want to have a moral compass. Where every time we try and write things northward, we get criticized or we get shut off or we get uh, we run into a stumbling block or a roadblock. And the church can become frustrated. It's easy for us to be frustrated. It's easy for us to begin to say nobody really wants God. Not today. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to live right. They all just want to do whatever they want to do. And for us to, as it were, throw up our hands and say, Lord, come quickly. Just just come, take us out of this place, and fix this mess. It's easy for the church to do that. It's easy for us to pray for the rapture to happen. So what what, is, what do I mean by the rapture? What is the rapture? So the rapture is... Probably the best place to to go to to identify uh, scriptures of the rapture would be where Paul talks about it in First Thessalonians chapter four, and he and he says that the Lord will descend with a great shout, the shout, the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up 
to be with them and meet the Lord and then forever be with Jesus. That's, that's a, a, a picture of the rapture and what we mean by the rapture. But, and so what the rapture is, is it's a, it's a calling away of the saints of God. It's a pulling them out, a rapturing of, of the church out of the world so that we would be with Jesus. It's, um, it, the rapture marks the end of the church age. And it's usually kind of in oftentimes when it's discussed, it's discussed with uh, the tribulation. And now uh, the tribulation is a seven year period of great strife. There's great destruction. There's judgment. God's judgment is poured out. The vials are poured out upon the earth in judgment. And the tribulation is, as it were, a bridge between the end of the church age and the rapture and the beginning of the millennial reign where Christ comes back, binds up the devil, thousand-year reign before the great white throne judgment. And it's that's that's kind of where the rapture takes place though is at the, in that tribulation now there's some there's some debate about whether or not the tribulation whether the rapture would take place at the beginning the middle or the end um that's a debate for a different time but they're, they're, that's a lot of times why they're in conjunction is when the rapture is supposed to take place and oftentimes it's my experience that our Feelings towards the rapture are, are, are dictated by our security or our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're secure in our relationship with the Lord, we oftentimes are excited about the rapture. We, we long for the rapture. We, we're hopeful for the rapture. And if we're insecure in our relationship with Jesus, we're oftentimes meet the conversation of the rapture with fear because we're not, we're not sure if we're going to actually be a part of that. And we know that the rapture marks somewhere a great tribulation period where God's wrath is poured out. And so we, we oftentimes will we'll meet that depending on our relationship status with the Lord. But the truth is, is that the church should have a longing for the rapture. There should be something in our hearts that say we, we long after it. We, we expect it. There's an expectancy in us to, to hunger after the rapture because the rapture marks the end of our labor and the beginning of our reward. And if that's the case, though, why would we want to, why would I say we want to pray against the rapture? Why would I say it like that in an aspect of, if we're supposed to long after it and hunger for it and desire it, why would we want to pray against something like that? And I would say, let's, let's go to Matthew. If we, if we went to Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 through 16, we would read the parable of the householder who goes into the courtyard and he hires people to go into his vineyard and work for a penny. And he goes back a few hours later and he hires more people to come into the vineyard and work for a penny. And he keeps going back and he keeps going back all the way into the 11th hour. And there's a few people still there. He says, what are you doing here? Why, why are you still here? Go in here and let's work and I'll pay you. And when the day is over and all the work is done and the, the workers are coming back, he starts giving out pennies to everybody. And the people that started early, they were upset 
because the people that started late got that penny, the same wage that they did, and they desired a higher wage than the ones that started later, that didn't work as much. And the Lord kind of is confused by this and says, look, did I not tell you I was going to pay you a penny? I'm paying you what I told you, what you've agreed to. Now, why are the people that worked earlier upset? They're upset because for them, the reward was the mission. For them, the reward was the goal. But that's not the same way for the householder. See, the householder doesn't have any issue with giving the reward. He's got more than enough pennies to give rewards to whoever wants to work. He's not concerned with that. What he's concerned with is the work in the vineyard. He wants the work to be completed. And he's so concerned with it that he willingly keeps going to the courtyard to hire more people to try and have the work get completed before it's too late in the day to do the work. As a church, we can't look at the reward as the mission. The, the reward is not the mission. That's not even the goal of the mission. I want to go to heaven. I want to be with Jesus. That's my reward. But my mission is to reconcile as many people as I can to Jesus Christ in the time that I can do it. That's my mission. My goal is to try and reconcile as many people as we can. That's what my purpose is. That's what the church's purpose is. And when we start to see the reward as our purpose, we start to err. And so... <laughs> Our mission is to reconcile these people to God. Our mission is to go out into the field of the Lord and work with people and try and reconcile them to God. And we can't do that after the rapture. We can't perform the work that God has given us to do. We can't fulfill our purpose without, when, when the rapture's already taken place and we're no longer here on earth. Um, so, uh, if we take a biblical idea here, let, let's go to Sodom and Gomorrah, right, in Genesis chapter 18, we'll, where God comes to Abraham, and he tells Abraham, listen, I've, I've, I've heard this stuff going on down there in Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm going to go down there and make sure that everything's going the way I I think it is. And if it is, I'm, I'm, we're going to destroy this place. Um, so you have a typology here with Sodom and Gomorrah of it being the world. And a lot of people will link Sodom and Gomorrah and the way that Sodom and Gomorrah was to end time. And, and so it, it becomes this typology in the, Bible, in the scriptures. And what Abraham does is, is interesting because Abraham knows that God's going to go down there and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he knows that they deserve it. He knows they've been doing wrong. He knows that. But what he doesn't do is turn around and instead of, you know, he doesn't turn around and become a fan in the stands that's rooting for Jesus, you know, like, yeah, 
fire and brimstone, lay it on them, they deserve it, you know, get them. He doesn't promote that. He doesn't root for destruction. It's important to note that because Jonah, if you remember him with Nineveh, he rooted for their destruction and God rebukes him for it. Abraham doesn't root for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Instead, he starts to pray a prayer and he prays, you know, well, Lord, surely there's some righteous people down there and surely you wouldn't destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. I mean, you got to know that. I, I know that. I know you know that. So if there's 50 righteous, will you destroy it? No, I won't do it for 50. 40, no, I won't do it for 40. 30, no, I won't even do it for 30. 20, no. 10, no. And he, he as it were, bargains with God. Now, I, now if you're like me, I, I always used to kind of, to use strong language, but probably truthful, I used to hate this passage of Scripture. Like, it just, just bothered me. Like, you know, Abraham's only worried about the righteous people. And that's, I just don't see how that's of God. I mean, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if, I'm like, he only seems to care about the right. He only wants God to not destroy it for the righteous sake. And, and I'll never forget one time I was reading that and I was getting irritated reading it. And I, I felt so strongly the Lord impressed on me. Why do you think he's praying for the righteous people? He's not praying for the righteous people. He's using the righteous people as a shield to judgment. He's using his knowledge of God and God's righteousness to appeal to the mercies of God on behalf of the unrighteous. He's not trying to get the righteous saved. See, Abraham knows God's not going to destroy righteous people with unrighteous people when the righteous people haven't done the wrong that the unrighteous have. He knows that. And so he's not praying for the, un for the righteous. He's praying for those that are unrighteous. But he's using his knowledge of God and God's character to appeal to God's mercies. It's really... It changed the way that I view that whole scripture, that whole scenario. So when I started realizing that it's not, he's not praying about the, for the righteous. It's not about the righteous. He's still praying for the unrighteous. He's just using his knowledge of God and his, God's character to appeal to the mercies on behalf of them. He knows that the righteous people can be a shield. They can stand in the gap, right? So the church needs to take our knowledge of God and our knowledge of God's character and use that to intercede on behalf of the world, not root for their destruction, though they may deserve it, though we all, if we're being honest, probably deserve it. We root for mercy. We are here to stand for mercy, to love it, and to, to intercede on behalf of others. But in order to do that, we have to, we have to actually come to this idea, well, what do we know about God and his character? Well, I know that in Second Peter, it says that the reason that God hasn't fulfilled his promises yet, like the rapture, is because he's long-suffering to usward. 
because he desires no man to perish and for all to come to repentance, everyone. I also know that in Ezekiel it says that God is looking for someone to stand in the gap between him and the land that he, God, would not destroy the land. So he's looking for intercessors and he's looking for people that would stand in the gap, that would intercede on behalf of the land, that would appeal to his mercies when his judgment wants to come. And God finds that in Jesus Christ. Jesus is put on a cross and laid out between heaven and earth and cries, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he appeals to the mercies of God and his blood covers us. The righteous covers the unrighteous. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. He's in the world and he's the light of the world. And when he's gone, there's no light. And no man can work when the light is gone. But he, he comes back to us as the Holy Ghost and fills us. And now the church becomes the body of Christ in the earth. And we represent Christ and we harbor in us his spirit, which is the light of the world. And the church becomes the light of the world. We are the light in this world. And when we're gone, no man can work because it's too dark. So the church has to take on the same form as the body of Christ. We have to take on the same role Christ had when he was here as an intercessor, as a barrier between the judgment of God and the unrighteous people. And we have to appeal to the mercies of God. Okay? So if that being the case, let's, let's say, so Abraham's intercession, that's the the, the prayer that he praises is the intercession for the world, right? But if you go to Genesis 19, it flips to Lot being in Sodom and Gomorrah. And now we have Lot, who is the embodiment of the church in the end time. He's the typology of the church in the end time. He's in Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says he's a righteous man who was vexed in his spirit for the unrighteousness of those around him. He was disturbed by it. He didn't enjoy it. He didn't like it. But he was in Sodom, and he was a righteous man. We oftentimes give Lot a hard time. We oftentimes want to give him flack for some of the decisions that he made, and we always want to kind of point ourselves towards Abraham and, and point that we need to be more like Abraham, and that's... That's true. But the reason that that's true is because Abraham oftentimes is more of a typology of Christ and Lot is more of a typology of the church. We're all just a bunch of lots here. <laughs> uh, that's the church. Lot represents the church in the end time, in the world, vexed by the world, but righteous. And here's Lot. And the angels come down to Sodom and Gomorrah and they tell Lot, okay, it's time. Got to get everybody out of here. You got to go get everybody that's with you and let's go. You got to go because judgment's coming. Destruction's coming. But we can't do anything 
while you're still here. So go get all your stuff, get it all in order, and let's go. We got to go. It's time to go. Now, Lot could have just been like, cool, let's go, and packed up just his house and said, let's go, and ran out of the city and never looked back. But he doesn't. He says, okay, and he goes out and he goes one more time. I'm going to go one more time to everybody I know. One more time to my son-in-laws and my daughters, and, and I'm going to try and convince them, hey, it's time to go. Let's go. It's time to get out of here. Destruction's coming. Let's go. Come on, pack your things. Let's go. Meet me in the morning and my house, and we'll go. And the Bible says that they, they thought that he was kidding. They didn't believe him. And the next day, the angels are telling him, okay, enough is enough. You've got to go. You've got to go. And the Bible says that Lot lingered. He lingers. He drags his feet. He's not dragging his feet because he wants to stay in Sodom. He's not la dragging his feet because he has this desire to, you know, as it were, be a part of Sodom. He's dragging his feet because though he's vexed, though he's disturbed in his spirit, there's something in him that's, that loves the people. There's something in him that holds on to this hope that someone that he loves is going to come. I've done my bit, and I know, I know, they can't do anything while I'm here. So if I linger and hope, I've done this, I've done all that I can, someone's going to come, someone's going to, just give them another minute, just give me another minute, just give me another minute, someone's going to come, someone's going to come. And he lingers so long that the angels have to forcibly move him, pick him up and his family and take them out of the city. They forcibly removed him from the city so judgment could come. Sounds a lot like the rapture. The church doesn't get to say when we're leaving, but the church can ask, God, just give me another minute. Just give me another minute. Someone else, there's someone else, there's someone else, there's someone else that I can win. Is there not another? See, Lot's not in danger of God's judgment. The Bible says that he wasn't in danger of the judgment because God remembered Abraham's prayer. In like manner, the church isn't in danger of God's judgment because of Jesus. Because the work that Jesus has done, the church isn't in danger. The church is going to make it. The church is going to get raptured out. It's a done deal. It's already settled. The church is going to make it out. But while we're still here, we cannot be intimidated by the sins of the world. We can't be so vexed in our spirits over the unrighteousness of this world that we forget that the world is the vineyard of the Lord. And the Lord is concerned with getting the work done before it's nighttime. Getting the work completed. He's concerned about people. He doesn't want anyone to perish, and he needs more people to go to the field. Be about my father's business. Work for the, the field is ripe with harvest. Pray that there be laborers. 
pray that there be laborers. The church can't give up on the mission. We can't give up on the mission. We, we can't give up. We can't quit before it's quitting time. We can't stop working and say, well, I don't have enough time to do another Bible study. We've got to push and push and say, oh, someone look, can you still see light? Yes, there's still light on the horizon. Okay, God, it's not dark yet. It's not nighttime yet. Give me another minute. Give them another minute. Let me do, let me send someone my way. Let me minister. Is there not another soul I could minister to? There's still light. I can see the light. And the church works past the evening hours, beyond the twilight hours. And we're pushing and we're pushing. The work has to be done. The mission is has to be done. We have to complete the mission. We have to complete the goal. We have to finish the work. Mike Lott lingered in Sodom and Gomorrah in a hope that someone might show up. That's the way the church has to be. We have to be the ones that linger. I already know I'm going to heaven. I'm part of the church. And today could be that great getting up morning. And if it is, I'm going to dance on streets of gold and I'm going to shout and boogaloo with the best of them. But if it's not, God, send me someone. Send me someone. I pray so much this. I pray it so much that I pray that our church is baptizing someone in Jesus' name and that they're being filled with the Holy Ghost with evidence speaking in tongues and mere seconds before the rapture were to happen. I want to work, God, until you make me move. I don't want to get out of the way, Lord. I want to stand in the gap until you make me move. Because when you make me move, that means the work is done. God's not moving the church until the work is done. He's going to make sure he's got enough people to go into the field and to work, to get the work done before it's quitting time. And we need to be that type of people. Missional, missional. Pastor preaches it all the time. Be missional, be missional. We got to stay with the mission. We have to pursue and let our zeal for the mission outweigh our desire for the reward. The reward's coming. That's a sure thing. Be zealous after the mission. Be zealous after the people of God. Let's not be weary in well-doing. And let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's be missional until the end. God, I love you today. I worship you. I praise you. You see your people, Lord. You see how we long and we hunger for the, the reward of, of going to heaven and dancing on streets of gold and being wherever it is that you are. You see our hearts, how we long for the day to hear the trumpet sound, for the dead in Christ to raise, for, for those of us who are alive and remain to be caught up, for us to our incorruption, to put on that incorruption over this corruptible body to put it on over us and to put on that immortality that is promised to us. You see our hunger for that, our longing for it. But God, 
until that day, I pray, Lord, that the, that we would be people that are zealous for the work of God. That we would be always looking, that we would wake up in the morning and say, God, today might be the day. But if it's not today, God, please, is there someone else I can reach? Is there something else I can do? Is there another soul that's hungry? Is there no one else, God? that I can work with. Send me someone and give me wisdom and anoint my head with oil. I got to be about the Father's business. Help us, Lord, to have that heart. Help us, Lord, to have that way. Help us, Lord, to be strong and confident in our reward and in you to be able to say the mission is what I'm focused on. The reward's coming but I'm focusing on the mission. In Jesus' name, I pray. In Jesus' name. I thank you all. I pray that the Lord would bless you guys this week and that you would have a wonderful week in Jesus' name, and we will see you guys on Sunday. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.